This is KDXI St. George, Radio St. George at 100.3 FM. And now it's time for My Life, a radio show about your life. Now, your host for My Life, the publisher of The Senior Saver, Kevin Fry. Okay, here we go. Another session of my life right here at Utah Tech Campus. And uh, I've got a special guest with me here today. His name is Jeremy Johnson. I'm sure nobody in Southern Utah has heard that name ever in their life. And uh, it was really nice of him. I asked him to come on the show probably a year ago, right? And you had some some issues with that. So now, a year later, here we are. Appreciate you coming in. You bet. Thanks. Yeah. Let's get you as close to that mic as we possibly can. I like to say, you know, make out with that thing if you want to, because we need to hear you. All right. So, Jeremy, we're going to talk a little bit about your life, obviously, and um, we'll go back. We'll go back a little bit, because we're going to talk about the things that everybody wants to talk about. Before we jump into that, though, right now, probably people are wondering what you're up to, what you've been doing these days, and apparently you've got a new company. Let's touch on that real quick, and then we'll jump back. Uh Sure. It's not yeah. my company. Okay. Yeah. But you're involved in it. Yeah, I work there. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not What's allowed it called? to own a business according to the government. Oh, is so. that right? <laughs> you can't, They won't let you own a business now? I guess now. not, yeah. Interesting. So, um, but people obviously people still want your brains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And what's the name of the company? Fox House. Fox House and it's tiny houses that you're trying to provide for people who can't afford housing? or uh, Or that's... What initially we thought it would end up being, mm-hmm. um, right now most of them are going to oil field workers in Texas. But okay, so you've got some, uh, you've got several purposes for them at this point, yeah. and a huge need, I'm sure. Um, insatiable demand for these tiny houses. By, yeah, affordable housing for sure. Isn't that something? Huh? Yeah. That's a huge issue here. It is huge. Yeah. I mean, no, you know, starter house for five hundred grand. I don't think it's really going to happen. No. You know. All right. Well, we're going to back up, Jeremy. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know your childhood and where where were you born and where did you grow up? What kind of family did you come from? All that stuff. So, where were you born? Murray, Murray, Utah. Yeah. Okay. And um, that was so you're like 47. You said yeah, 47. So 47 years ago, you're born in Murray. How many siblings did you have? I've got two brothers and a younger sister. Two brothers and a younger sister. Okay, so you're kind of in the middle. No, I'm sorry. They're all younger. Oh, they're all, oh, you're the oldest. Yeah. Okay, you're the oldest. And then uh, you had you grew up in an LDS home. Yes. Right. And uh, so your mom and dad went to church every Sunday and drug you guys to church with them. Yep. Forced us just like all the other <laughs> families forced their kids. <laughs> yeah. Such a good time. You loved it, didn't you? You loved it. Yeah. So did was your dad like involved in leadership in the church? No. Um, but they've like their whole lives, they've always been active. Have they? That's how we were raised. And they're active today. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got, you, you're still kind of, that's part of your life too, right? Sure. It's, yeah. Absolutely. Still yeah. identify that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, so you, you're the oldest of four kids and, uh, when you were going to school in, uh, did you say Murray? Sorry. You know, I was born in Murray, but when I was really mm-hmm. small, we moved to St. George. So oh, okay. the only thing I really know is St. George. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. And let's talk about St. George. So you moved to St. George when you were just a little tyke. Yeah. And then you started elementary school here in St. George. So you really are a local. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. And what what schools did you go to? Uh, I went to West Elementary, went mm-hmm. to Sunset. Yeah. Uh, and then Dixie Middle and Dixie High. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So you, so you kind of have Dixie in your blood. 
Absolutely. Yeah, even though we're here at Utah Tech that used to be KC. That's <laughs> okay. We're not going to talk about that no, today. That we have already. Like it could be a... <laughs> it's very controversial. <laughs> but yeah, um, so what was your impression like of St. George? What did you What did you like about it growing up? That kind of thing. Uh, you know, I mean, I had a great childhood. I grew up in Green Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, it was like surrounded by farms. Uh, did so... you grow up in a farming kind of community or some um, land? I was in a little neighborhood, but, you know, I was friends with the family that had the farm, and we'd go ride the horses and play in the river, and it was just kind of a Tom Sawyer upbringing, I guess. Yeah, uh, good time, huh? You know, kind of uncommon today, it seems like, but... Uh, That's true. That's true. And that, and today, you kind of have a farm, don't you? You're uh, kind of living on a farm a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I've been working on a farm over by Sand Hollow, small mm-hmm. little farm, and... Oh. I've enjoyed that for the last few years. When you say farm, what does that mean? Uh, 50 acres. Oh, you got 50 acres? Yeah. It's, okay. It's small. Um, but and it's over by where? By Sand Hollow Reservoir. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And are you growing things? Yeah. What are you growing? Um, right now, peaches and watermelons and hmm. corn. Okay. Do you have a high IQ? I have no idea. <laughs> Seriously, I've, you've never actually checked on did, never did you go to college? I for uh, like one semester. Seriously, that's all I lasted. And where did you go to college? Right here. You went here to Dixie State at the time. Yeah. Okay. What were you studying? Business. You're studying business at the time, so you had a an interest in business from a young age. When you were eight years old, would you want to do? Oh, hmm. That was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, I think I wanted to be like a mechanic or something. You, so, like you kind of have an engineering mind? Is that? I just like to play with things and make them work. I had a go-kart when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I tear it apart and fix it and make it faster and try really? to improve upon it. And so <laughs> at that point, it was like, oh, if I was a mechanic, I'd have all the tools. And What did your dad do? He's an electrical contractor. Oh, okay. Okay. And your mom stayed at home? Yeah. Okay. So the, the mechanical side of things, do you think that came from your father? Do you think that that's... A family thing? Um, I got a lot of it, I feel like, from my grandpa. He was really mechanically minded and just mm. an inventor and tinker. And, huh. You know. And are do you have an inventive mind? Are you the kind of guy who's always thinking up stuff? Definitely, yeah. That's probably the one strong point I have. The rest of my brain doesn't work well. I, like, <laughs> sure, can, that's not true. I can barely balance <laughs> I can't even balance a checkbook. Or, uh-huh. You know, I barely graduated high school. and so. Would you say that you're a really creative type person? Yeah. Yeah, the right side works great. Left side, not so Are you an artist in, of any, in no, any way, shape, or form? No, I'm not an artist. Do you play a musical instrument? No. Um, huh. You know, do you sing? No. Nothing like that? Not musical? Mm, no, hmm. but I would. I love to solve a really complicated puzzle. Like what Like what type of puzzle? Um, like I think like if you were to say what, what my dream job would be to work somewhere like at Rand in a think tank and... Give us solve a really problems. difficult problem to solve and then the resources to potentially solve it. And I would, like, in my perfect world, love to just sit and think through very complicated things and try and find a solution. So, interesting. What? So, if you could dream up something like the, a problem that's happening today that you could sit down and think about and try to fix, like, what would it be? Uh, well, right now it's how does somebody get into a house that can't afford a house? Yeah. And you know, it's a huge problem, big problem, yeah, and especially here in St. George, Utah. Yeah, it is. And so, I'm down here on my farm, and people show up. I mean, I had a family, five kids, mm-hmm. two parents, 
dad works full time and they're living in a camper in the desert with no water and power and they just look like orphans and I'm just thinking this is crazy you know and so there's a full time job but uh, when you factor in what rent costs and everything else you know, <laughs> he doesn't make enough yeah yeah and I'm thinking wow what's the solution to this and so I just like literally for a year think about that problem and try and come up with solutions and do you do you have um is it kind of your natural personality to want to help people? Definitely. Really? Yeah. Because uh, Sean Denman walked in here before, kind of helped me with some things like he usually does, because I need people to help me too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but he mentioned, yeah, I have a friend that you bought a car for. Did you? Is that the kind of thing that you've done throughout your life? Is- yeah, in my old life when I had a lot of money, um, uh-huh. you know, any almost any sad story that came across my way, I... He's like, oh, I'll take care of that. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, sure. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. So that's kind of in your character that you kind of want to help people. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously you're doing that right now with this company that you're working with. Uh, I mean, that was, that's the goal at the end of the day. Um, Mm -hmm. So hopefully (laughs) that's how it ends up. (laughs) Right now it's a lot of work. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh So, so in your business career, so you took one semester at Dixie State College yeah. Right, and it was business related classes, yeah. and then you dumped out. You're like, ah, uh, you well, know, I'm gonna do the. I started a business. Yeah, would you start? Uh, I went around and I would like resurface the dirty stucco homes in town. And where'd that idea come from? I just drive around, and you know, like the old kind of stucco, the cement, it mm-hmm. would get the red dirt on it. Yeah, look bad. I just researched a way to fix it, and. Sure enough, people wanted to wanted have that, that done. done and turned into a business. Thriving and, business. Yeah. How so. many employees did you have? Nah, not a lot. Mm-hmm. I think at the peak, maybe three or four or mm-hmm. something. For a lot of 1099 type guys? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you it did was successful, obviously. Did you sell the business? No. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I just moved on to something else. Yeah. And, What'd you move on to? Uh, internet. The internet oh. was like a new thing back then. Yeah, and, like 2000-ish. Yeah. Huh. Mm. And what kind of internet stuff were you working on? Um, the first thing I did was uh, in the early days, eBay made it really easy to buy stuff, but mm-hmm. selling took, um, you know, you had to know like a little HTML and mm-hmm. it was complicated. You needed some programming. Yeah. Yeah. So we just sold like a little program that made it easier for people, taught them how to do it and... It was needed at that time. It was needed at that time, yeah, mm-hmm. right. eBay, and we, I mean, that was turned into, you know, something I just started in my house, and I think we did $30 million. In $30 million. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> Is that uh, right, huh? So by eBay start- eventually figured out, like, hey, you know, like, they just made a program that was way better than ours, and mm-hmm. it was free, so... So, so computer programming or making or creating software is something that you can do? No. Okay. No, I definitely You commissioned not. someone to do it. Yes. Interesting. You had the idea, and you went to people that can do it, and you said, we're going to do this, and you created a $30 million company. Yeah. Jeez, not bad. How old were you? <laughs> um, let's see. I would have been in my early 20s. In your early 20s? Yeah. So you had success really, really on early on in your life. I think so, yeah. In your early 20s. Yeah. So, yeah, you, it was your company. Right, it was your mm-hmm. company, and did you have any partners? No. Okay, so just you. That's interesting. And you built this thirty million dollar company, then you sold it. Nope, nope. It became obsolete. 
No. Nope. It just morphed into, it stayed the same. That was iWorks. That was a company the government ended up crushing. And so it just kept okay. growing. Okay. And added different products. And new people are asking us to do stuff for them. And pretty soon it was a $100 million a year company. Holy smokes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, before we get too far into that, because I know everybody wants to hear about <laughs> okay. the case, you know, the big <laughs> sure. case that, that Jeremy Johnson is famous for. Mm. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about that some more. But let's talk a little bit about, were there other ideas that you had that you, uh, you know, that you were working on or were there things that you, that you had a deep interest in? I'm just trying to get in your head a little bit because, you know, what, what, what were your goals in life? Do you think, what did you really want to do? Did you want to be a rich and successful businessman or did you want to help people? What did you want to do? Um, I I would say both. I mean, I think, you know, when I was a kid, you know, when you're little, everybody's like, I want to be rich when I grow Mm -hmm. up. Right. So I, I thought the same way and I, I would always in my mind say, you know, like, Hey God, if you help me be rich, I promise I'll like be really good and do a lot of good stuff with the money. So your (laughs) prayers worked. How come mine didn't work? I I used to say those too. I'm like, Hey God, I want to be rich. Uh, And he's like, you're too stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm really not that smart. Um, I think. But you're very creative. Obviously. I'm probably creative and I do tend to see, well, for me, almost always ends up being a problem, something that's annoying to me or a problem. And if you come up with a solution, mm-hmm. oftentimes there's lots of people that'll pay you for to, to fixing create that, that problem solution. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, what are, when you look at St. George, for example, and you know, you probably see some of the problems in St. George. What, what do you think are some things that we need to solve here that you it would be fun for you to be involved in? Um, you know, like the box house thing. We've mm-hmm. met with the county commissioners. Oh, we you have? With, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. We met with the city people um, because it's interesting. In, in St. George, by the time we get a piece of property and we go through all the craziness that it takes to put a, a house on it, mm-hmm. you're into that lot. Best case scenario, yeah, well over a hundred thousand dollars. Where even for a tiny house? Oh yeah, yeah. Because they don't, the zonings aren't designed for this type of thing. We can actually put sixteen of these on an acre, right? But there is no zoning for that. Yeah, where are you going to put it? Right, right. It's well, it's a gargantuan task to try and get a zoning law changed specifically for a certain type of housing. Even though they they admit they need it, Mm -hmm. it would be very beneficial. But the zoning laws need to be changed, and that needs to well, go through a lot of red tape. And their thing is, you know, the people whose house this goes by is going to complain, and they don't want, you know, these mm-hmm. kind of people, I guess, living uh-huh. by them. And So we need to stick just, them out there in the wilderness somewhere or something. Yeah, and I mean, even that would be fine. Like, just mm-hmm. make it possible. Yes. Um, it's funny, though. So, like, in Texas, for example, um, we can put one of these on a— lot there with all the utilities and everything for like $15,000. Really? Because the land's cheaper. The land's cheap and they don't care. There's the zoning. They're like, they put them wherever care. you want. You know, I, yeah. I'm calling the guy down there and asking what we can do on this land. And he's like, do you own the land or not, son? Yeah. Do whatever you like, want. Here, like, here's a gun. Is this America? Like, or yeah. I mean, you, is this Texas? Just yeah. do what you want to do. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, what if I want a nightly rental? Mm-hmm. Does he not hear me, son? <laughs> He's like, let me adjust my hat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just don't care. Yeah. So you want to you put in gravel? 
mm-hmm. for a road and not spend the money on curbs and gutter and asphalt, go ahead. Yeah. And so here, that's not even in the realm of possibility. Right, because there's so many rules and regulations. So many rules and, and regulations that you have to go through and impact like fees. California. And we already are constrained here. Where there's very little land that's in private hands, mm-hmm. right? Texas is the opposite. The whole state's private. Really? So it's not like this rare, valuable commodity like we have here, you know, um, that on top of the loose zoning regulations, it's more huh. conducive to work there. Than so you're here. looking at Texas more so than Southern Utah, just because it's easier to get it done there. And we would love to do it here. Yeah. And there's a need, there's a huge demand. It would be very helpful to people. And I totally agree with that, by the way. It would take a lot of strain off of the cities. It would, mm-hmm. they could be great transitional housing from people that are coming out of homelessness into something that they could yeah. secure as theirs and actually even own and have yes. equity in and have mm-hmm. some pride in. Um, How big are these homes? They're small. They're uh, 19 by 20 feet. So they're 300 and about 70 square feet. Close to 400 square feet. Right. And okay. that's the magic number staying under 400. Why is that? Uh, because there's a whole other set of rules and regulations that come into effect that are make them more costly once you exceed that threshold. It's interesting because I've been thinking about this exact thing for quite a while because the tiny home thing has kind of taken over the world because nobody can afford to buy a house anymore. And uh, I think in the future, what we'll see is the people that can afford to buy will be buying ones that are made in factories and that don't require cement trucks mm-hmm. to come out and workers to build on site. They're mostly built somewhere else and they're set up within a couple of days. And the cost savings is significant when you do it that way. Hmm. So, so you're going to start these programs, it sounds like, in Texas. That's kind of... Right. right right now, there's a huge demand for them there for mostly oil worker housing in the Permian Basin. Mm-hmm. And it just makes sense for us to cut our teeth there yeah, where we don't figure have zoning restrictions, where we can economically do it. And then my hope is that we put these communities up there and then we can, some people here could be convinced that, hey, this could be beneficial to us. Hmm. How, how big is the company that you're working with now? Um, I think there's probably around 20 employees and is it local? It's a local yeah, company? It's a St. George company. It is. It's right here at the college. What, what are your growth predictions for it? <laughs> well, okay, I'm always an optimist. So, of course. you know, my growth prediction is that uh, we'll do a thousand homes this year. A thousand homes. That's the goal. That's the company wide goal. Everybody's working towards that. And so, mm-hmm. okay. So, how, and it takes only a couple of days to pop them up, and they're being made in China, correct? Uh, for the most part, we're sourcing components from about a dozen different factories, but uh, almost all of it's overseas. Really? Yeah. So you're literally getting the pieces from 20 different sources and then putting in, and someone's putting them together. Yeah. So they come here and- uh, To you St. Know, George? Uh, they have been, uh-huh. but you know now- Maybe send them to Texas. The, like the ones that we set up around here are difficult because like you want one in your backyard. Mm-hmm. It's a whole process. Where's the utilities and the yeah. permit? By the time we set one of yours up, we could do four in Texas mm-hmm. because it's like you set one up, you move 20 feet, you set up another mm-hmm. one and another one. And so a crew of two guys can set up um, two homes a day. Two a day. And then that's setting up the shell. Then comes behind them mm-hmm. a crew that puts in the cabinets, right? Mm-hmm. And then the electrical guys and then the plumbing and the window coverings. And so it's like a factory mm-hmm. on site. And when you're spread out, that's harder. But if you do it as like a community, mm-hmm. you really get efficient. Um, you know, when you buy cabinets, you buy a hundred sets of the same thing. 
Sure, so absolutely. The savings is significant when mm-hmm. you do it that way. And, yeah. Uh, just, so start to finish, your, how long does it take to get moving ready? Um, like a CO. couple of days. Yeah, maybe three days. Three days and you're done. Yeah. All, everything. So it's just like boom, boom, boom. They set up these houses. The cabinet guys come in. The electricians come in. The plumbers come in. Done. You're done. In two or three days. Yeah. That's amazing. You got a close to a 400 square foot house. Right, it's, it can be your own. Sit on sits on its own piece of property. Yeah. Okay. Well, in theory, as mm-hmm. it's like the zoning like regulations. Kind of? That's the thing that they have a hard time with. Is we're like, hey, can you just cut off a really small lot? We don't mm-hmm. need a big lot. Right. And they're like, nope. Here, yeah, quarter acre. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And a quarter acre. I mean, we can put uh, you know five of these on a quarter acre or four or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because they're small enough they're that you small. can do that. You don't need a big yard or anything. That's not why. You don't. Yeah, you're trying to get started. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. No. Okay, well, I, I sure, and you've gone to the city, you said. Yeah. And and you, and you they're saying, way to go, well, Jeremy. This looks great. The city was interested until they found out I was involved. Oh. <laughs> and okay. then all of a sudden they're not interested, which is fine. I mean, this <laughs> is, uh, you know, story of my life, I guess. So. Uh-huh. So it, the company that you were involved in that was under scrutiny mm-hmm. was called, what was the name of it? iWorks. iWorks. Okay. Yeah. And that was the, basically a software company. Yes. Okay. What types of things did iWorks do? Um, we, well, this was early on and they were mostly like learning database things um, that wouldn't even be relevant now. Uh-huh. Uh, They're know. outdated. Outdated. Uh, most of everything that we sold is free or nominal free mm-hmm. or accessible other ways. Um, to make it more user-friendly. Yeah. That kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. So you, originally you kind of created these products and services that made things more user-friendly for people. So Correct. They could, yeah. So they could get going. Um, okay. And then, um, but we're going to tease this a little bit because we've got, you know, a little less than three minutes on this side of the fence and then we'll go on the other side and we'll talk about it more. But what was... Um, what what was the problem? What what happened that that yeah. you became under the you know the government's eye? Yeah, that's the uh, that's the three hundred million dollar question. Is that right? I, to this day, I really don't know. Um, you know, what they would say, "Oh, you did this," and we would say, "No, no, here here's the proof we didn't." Mm-hmm. Oh, well, then you did this. Mm-hmm. And They're it, trying to find something. Yeah, I was, they superseded and indicted me four times. Huh? And so. It, you know, it was never that we made a mistake, we're going to let this go. It was always that, well, then, then this, and it was just on to something new. So I know that, um, so there were, there were, there was quite a domino effect that kind of happened. I guess there was Sunfirst Bank that was involved, right? And then Sunfirst Bank was no more after that yeah. situation as well, right? They, yeah. they shut that bank down? They did. Is yeah, that they, right? They shut down Sunfirst only because I was an owner of the bank, but the bank had done nothing wrong. You were an owner? You were a part owner of Sunfirst Bank. I was. Sunfirst Bank got in trouble mm-hmm. uh, in 08, and they came to me looking for capital. I provided Tier 1 capital a pretty significant amount. I think I was probably the largest shareholder in the bank at that time. Huh. Um, but they were in much better shape when the government shut them down than they were when I got into it. And so it was just more like a revenge thing, like we're going to teach you a lesson and just shut your bank down. So you talked a little bit about... Um uh, was it a prosecutor or something that was involved in the case that started her own podcast afterwards? I, I, I'm trying to remember what you said. Uh, there's an investigator. An investigator. Yeah. Okay. And so she, after this was all over, she ended up on the outs of this whole thing because she questioned it 
and yeah. she started a podcast and she had a gag order, but then the gag order was taken away. So she started to be able to talk about your case. Right? Yeah. I think she more chose to ignore the gag order, but. Oh, did she? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm talking about this. Just you know, let it go. Yeah. So she started to talk about your case and she, her point was she thought it was a ridiculous thing that it was kind of a witch hunt um, and that the government was out of line. Does that sound right? Yeah. Hmm. Did yeah. you kind of feel that way too? I did. Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And this is going to be interesting because I know the public has a real strong perception of, of all this kind of stuff. And so I, that's really why I wanted you to come on the show so you could actually have a chance to kind of maybe talk about it. Sure. So, we're, so we're talking with Jeremy Johnson right now, and we're talking about iWorks and, of course, the big court battle that went through the government. We are going to come back after this and talk about that. So stay tuned. We'll see you in a, just a minute. You're listening to My Life, a show about your life. We'll be back with more right after this. The hidden legacy of colonialism fuels a lot of current cultural debates. You just have to know where to look. The colony of economy, politics, power is easier to see, but the colony of the mind is almost invisible. That's why it's so dangerous. Decolonizing the mind. Next time on To the Best of Our Knowledge. To the best of our knowledge with Anne Strainchamps, Friday mornings at 8 on Radio St. George 100.3 FM. Part-time work, competitive wages, and a free meal per shift. Angelica's Mexican Grill is looking for your skills to join them at their downtown St. George location. Drop off your info to Angelica's at the corner of 100 East and St. George Boulevard or call 801-512-1847. 801-512-1847. Come be a part of the team and the fun by working at Angelica's Mexican Grill. 801-512-1847. Every weeknight from 7 till 10, the legends of jazz take over. Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Kurt Elling, and so much more. Evening Jazz on Radio St. George 100.3 FM. We welcome you back to My Life, a radio show about your life. And now your host from the Senior Saver, Kevin Fry. Okay, here we are. We're back. We're back. Uh, Jeremy Johnson is our guest here in the studio today, and we're talking about, of course, the big court case that everybody's curious about. We're going to talk about that. But um, it, just to recap a little bit, <clears throat> uh, Jeremy's a Utah boy. He's, you know, he kind of grew up here and went to all the Dixie schools and all that kind of stuff. He even went to Dixie State for a semester. And, um, and then he just started businesses. He started uh, jumping into business, doing his own thing, and he's had amazing success at that. And then he started a company called iWorks, and that became in question. That, that company became in question, and the government, I guess, started an investigation. Is that correct? It is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, the, there's been a lot of hearsay about it. I I'm not. I haven't studied it. You know, I don't. I haven't studied the case. I haven't seen much about it. I just know that everybody in town knows Jeremy Johnson, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, at least at least a name, right? Yeah. yeah. 
I know that your wife owns a, or is a part owner or your wife and your mother-in-law? Mother. Your mother, okay. Or run a quilt shop and sewing shop here in town. So they, they do that. And yeah. then and you have your things that you've done, lots of different businesses and had a tremendous amount of success. You were part owner of Sun First Bank, which was uh, involved in all this that came down. So, so people, uh, boy, everybody's got things to say about Jeremy Johnson. But one of the things that I remember when, when I was back in radio was these big parties that used to happen on the, on Lake Powell. And, <laughs> and, and um, I, I don't, I was never invited. So I was like, it's like, well, ironically, I wasn't invited to most of them you, either. You weren't either? <laughs> I think my boats were involved in some of them. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Did you have some houseboats down there? Yeah. Okay. So you had a couple of houseboats and then yeah. you, so you, so people were always like, Hey, Jeremy, it, we were we talked about you a little bit before too, and we said Sean Denman came in the studio and said, "Hey, a friend of mine, you bought a, a car for a friend of mine," and that's what she, he wanted to bring that up and ask you about that. And you were like, "Yeah, I, usually when people came to me with a sob story, I it would help them out." Yeah, that was kind of so. Is this kind of the same type of thing with the the houseboats? Yeah, too? people would say, "Hey, we want to go have a party on Lake Powell. Can we borrow your houseboats?" Well, they didn't usually phrase it as they're going to have a party. <laughs> it was like, "Hey, can we use your boat this weekend? Just some friends having to get together, and then there's a couple know, hundred of us." Yeah, you know, I find out later. <laughs> it was it was knockdown, drag out. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, but and they, I don't know, maybe they weren't even intended to be like yeah. that. I think when you're like, "Hey, we're going to go on this awesome boat," you mm-hmm. know, uh, it's like not hard to find people to go. So. Well, some of the other rumors, and we'll talk more about the cases we get going here, or some of the other things I've ever talked about, was the huge house you had in Little Valley. Is uh, it Green Valley. Green Valley. Yep. It was in Green Valley. Okay. So you had this huge house, and then you had a plane or a helicopter or something or all of the above. And multiple. Is that all right? The above. Yeah. What did you have? Uh, <laughs> um, I had a helicopter. Mm-hmm. and like. Are you, you know, a pilot? Yeah. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like buy one and then you get a better one and a better mm-hmm. one so end yeah, up having straight this, up yeah called mm-hmm. an ec-130 a eurocopter which is wow really cool eight passenger how much is one of those uh new i think it was around three million three million dollars yeah. holy smokes okay then you had a uh, plane some sort of fixed wing plane yeah multiple small planes and even a jet for oh did you yeah is that right yeah well you said that your iWorks company you did was it 30 million that's a um, at our peak, we had around a thousand employees doing $120 million a year in revenues. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So you're doing exceptionally well with that company. Yeah. Yeah. I did good. Did you run that out of St. George? Um, it was based in St. George. Uh, and I got, you know, I'm actually not good at running companies, believe it or not. I'm good hmm. at developing yeah. and coming up with the ideas and everything, mm-hmm. but running them is not my not thing. Not your thing. And so... It was managed here out of St. George with competent people. And then I had an office in Santa Monica. Huh. That's mostly where I worked. I had a little Skunk Works team, and we just came up with new software. And yeah, and we got something working, and we sent it up here. And it, So you had a home here yeah. in St. George where your family is. Yeah. And you had a home in Santa Monica as well? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Have homes anywhere else? Um, yeah, there was a few scattered about. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's pretty great. So, so you liked kind of when you traveled, you liked to have a home there. Um, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of employees in the Philippines, so mm-hmm. we outsourced a lot of our work there. But these were they just worked for us. Mm-hmm. I had a home there. Yeah, um, and then we had an office also in Ephraim. I spent time there, and 
Yeah. Convenience reasons, just have a house there. And then other iWorks employees that are traveling would use those as well. So, Huh. Are you a car collector? I was in mm-hmm. my previous life. Okay. What kind of cars did you have? <laughs> I don't know. Just anything that looked cool. What was your favorite? Oh, you'll laugh. Yeah. Uh, a Volkswagen Jetta is what I drove. You drove a Volkswagen. So I own three of those. Actually. They're great. Right? Yeah, they're a great little car. Honestly, it doesn't get any better. But I had Lamborghinis, Porsche, Ferrari. Did you I mean, really? I had everything you can, you know, that you dream of having. But my favorite car was a Jetta. And why do you think <laughs> that is? Why? Why is that? Just you know, don't have they to think look about it or worry about it. Yeah. and pretty, but they're really a pain to drive. They ride rough. They do go yeah. fast, but I mean, mm-hmm. every curb you got to try and hit it. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like work driving the thing, and you just. The old Jetta, you don't worry about. You just mm-hmm. go. Yeah. So the, there was also, I remember a story, there was an earthquake overseas. Um, where was it? I'm trying to Haiti. In Haiti. That's right, in Haiti. And you um, organized some some volunteer efforts in Haiti, didn't you? Because you had your planes and you had your helicopter and you had all that. And you started going over there to help out after that massive earthquake that happened. Yeah. Is that is the, Are those the types of things that you... We're doing a lot of. Did you organize those types of things a lot, or is it just felt a need and you're like, I got to do this? No, Haiti was unique. Um, you know, I'm fascinated with, uh, you know, a country like Haiti. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Hmm. Um, Two thirds of the country lives on less than a dollar a day. And so, in my mind, I'm wondering how do we have this situation that's 600 miles from the most prosperous country in the world, right? Like What's what happened to Florida's cause this, back, yeah. you know, divergence? Mm-hmm. So when there's quick hit in Haiti, I already knew how horrible the infrastructure it was, gonna was. Be. yeah, and they they really had no capabilities, and they didn't have any helicopters there. The mm-hmm. hospitals were yeah. barely functioning even before the earthquake. So I thought, you know what, I could put money into something like this, but this might actually be something I could get on the ground and maybe actually do something. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, you did. I, yeah, I did. I jumped in a plane, and I was on the ground the next day hmm. in, Haiti. in Haiti. Yeah. And then doing what? Um, oh, it was horrible, you know. Um, Are you good at organizing things like that? Well, um, I had an assistant and staff that were really helping to organize. Um, I didn't know what I was even sure getting into. Uh, ended up being we did a whole lot of medevac there. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the only helicopters operating in the country, and uh, huh. um, amazing. So we would find people that were broken and hurt, and bring them back uh, to and the airport. Them, huh? And as much as there was some aid to people that were trying to help, and that got to the point where it wasn't there's like there's some cases just nothing they can do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got snapped femurs or whatever, and so. I more or less forced my pilots to would just fill up the plane, and I'd force them to fly to Fort Lauderdale and dump them. In the and, hospitals there? Well, they would just, uh, <laughs> uh. I mean, there's a kind of an interesting story, but, like, um, I went, uh, I'm flying the helicopter. Mm-hmm. We're taking food orphanages because they're not no getting, food. yeah, they're not getting anything through. And then we're grabbing kids, for the most part, that are the most severely harmed. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was two girls that we got. They were about the same age as my daughters at the time. Mm. And in Haiti, um, everything's built out of cinder blocks. Only yeah. They don't have money for steel, so there's no rebar in them. So when the earthquake came, it would... Collapse them all. Right. And so it looks like someone took cinder blocks and would throw them 
at these kids. So you'd have <sighs> snapped femurs and even the skin ripped off. Jeez. And so one of them, the, the older girl, that's she had a broken femur. Mm-hmm. And then her little sister, um, what had happened in Haiti, they also cook with charcoal, mm-hmm. these little stoves. And so the wall had fallen down, and it pressed her against this hot stove and burned her little hand right down to where mm-hmm. you could see the bone and then the side of her face and the ear Jeez. and just just horrific so stuff horrific, like that huh? like you can't even imagine you're in mm-hmm. you know the, this could be happening in the world right now and mm-hmm. so and then and there's nothing nobody's anybody, really helping there's nobody's, no, there's yeah. not, there's, they don't have anything to help mm-hmm. with they don't have any they're all on their own mm-hmm. exactly and so I told the pilots take these kids mm-hmm. to Florida. And they're like, hmm. Jeremy, we can't. They don't have papers. Yeah. We don't have clearance, documentation. Yeah. I said, I don't, just do I it don't anyway. care. Just do it. They're and floating they're like, on rafts. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, no. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to get in the plane and do it. And I'm not even certified to fly this thing, you know. <laughs> Here we go. But they're like, oh, my gosh, he's serious. Okay, we'll do it. But they're just going to turn us around. Yeah. And i like, that's, you know what? I don't care. Throw wrenches in the engine. Mm-hmm. Just do what you got to do. So we literally filled this plane with the most broken people, wrecked the plane. Is that right? Destroyed. How many people would you throw in there? Uh, I don't know. They ended up making multiple trips because they land there. And the customs guy comes out the plane, asks for the papers, and the pilots are like, we don't have anything. And he looks in there. And I'm thinking, you know what? The person asking for these papers is a human being. Right. Right. I think they're going to do something. Right. And he looks in there, and he sees just... Massive, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. humanity, and mm-hmm. turns around and walks off. That was it. That was it. University of Miami Hospital comes out, grabs them all, and takes Treated them. Him. Takes them all. I have no idea what happened to them, but I can certainly be assured it was better than what would have happened in Haiti. And I don't know how many times they did that. I can't remember, but several. Trips. The guy never asked for papers again. Is that right? He just yeah. took them all. He just he just wouldn't even come out. He just landed the plane and. The, that was it. The University of Miami would be waiting for him. And How many people do you think that you helped that way? I wish I knew. I mean, at the time, it was just chaos. I'm <laughs> trying to go out and bring people in. Out of the rubble. And, um, you know, I, I'm just telling them, you just keep going as much as you can until mm-hmm. they seize the plane or something bad happens. Uh, we just keep going. And they did. And these guys, to me, are like heroes because yeah. uh, they really risked a lot to make that happen. But at the time, it's funny when mm-hmm. someone is suffering or hurting like yeah. that, you really don't care about you just do the what customs you do. laws. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you just do what a human being would do in that situation. And so. Interesting. Interesting. So that was a, what an impactful. Massively impactful. And little did I know was preparing me in a lot of ways for what was about to happen to me. Coming around the corner. Yeah. Coming around the corner was the FBI. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Coming after Jeremy Johnson. <laughs> it was the IRS, actually. But was it? What well, was IRS? Okay. Yeah. So the IRS was coming after you because of tax reasons, obviously. They, that was the original thing they started with was a uh, tax problem. But they mm-hmm. dug into that. Couldn't find any issue, so they just switched to something else. But that, huh. that was how it started. So it it seems strange to me that because um, you, you told me about this that you had all these um, indictments, all these things that they were trying to get you on, um, and there was really only one that it came down, and it was a paperwork flaw of some kind, right? Yeah. 
I think the jurors said, hey, every person in the state's guilty of the same crime. Like if you fill out an application for a car loan and it says, how long have you lived in your house? And you write, oh, three years. And it's actually well, If the government comes and says, hey, you've been here three years, two months. Oh. You just committed a false statement to a bank. Same thing mm-hmm. I was convicted Fraud. of. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It doesn't matter if it's material or whatever. It's a technical violation. It doesn't have a mens rea, which means you don't have to intend to do mm-hmm. something wrong. Huh. And the punishment for that is like probation. It's nothing. Right. But that's all they need is the one charge, and then they can sentence you to everything you're found not guilty of. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what I, <clears throat> what I think I, I heard someone say. Oh, Jeremy was um, defrauding old women of their money <laughs> with some sort of credit card scam. Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. That was what I heard. What's your answer to that? I would love to meet any of these old women so I could, you know, give them their money Get back. a feel for that? And yeah. That's, that's my response every time. Mm-hmm. Like, is there anyone that you know? Because I would love that to make that too? right, you know? Mm-hmm. And the government would love to have had some old ladies in court to come in and say something like that because that would have really solidified mm-hmm. their case. But the reality is out of six million customers, they couldn't find one. So there was no tax fraud. They couldn't find no. any evidence of tax fraud. Yeah. And and there was really no banking fraud either. They were trying to find banking fraud, and they didn't find that either. Right. They're trying to find anything, any wrinkle they could find, and they couldn't prove anything. That's right. Right. Did, was it? Did you have to defend yourself? Did you have to pay I your did. own all your uh, own legal fees? Boy, and all I would have loved stuff? to have paid my own legal fees and had an attorney, but they uh, before trial and even before even charging me, seized all of our assets, and I was not permitted to use any of. Our, my own money to hire an attorney. So I had to defend myself in court. Speaking of, you had to defend yourself. You had to be your own attorney. Yes. Wow, that's... Against teams of government attorneys and investigators. Holy and smokes. Me and my high school education didn't fare all that well legally, but... Uh, well, you learned a lot, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I learned I didn't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be awful. <laughs> so the other rumor is that you um, took a whole bunch of cash and buried it out there in the desert, and everyone's out there digging around looking for it. No, you got it wrong. It's gold. Oh, is it gold? <laughs> oh, you buried gold in yes, the desert. I did. And you and you said that there might be some truth to that. <laughs> there was truth to that. Uh-huh. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I started buying gold like in 2000, mm-hmm. and I'm not a very good saver. And so <laughs> when I had like a little extra money, I would, you know. Where'd you buy it? Um, there's a company called Kitco that I ended up oh, buying okay. most of it from. You just order it and they send it to you in the mail. Mm-hmm. And I really? just put it in a little safe in my house. Mm-hmm. And back then gold was cheap. I 400 can't bucks an yeah, ounce Yeah, it was not very much. And then, How, when was that? What year was that? Like 1999, yeah. 2000. And, right. you know, over the years I'd just buy a little more because I couldn't easily spend it. So it was mm-hmm. like my savings account. Right. And yeah, then gold started going up in price. And so mm-hmm. next thing you know, I've got like, a couple million dollars of gold in my safe in my house, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna do something with this. Yeah, why doesn't? So, what if somebody comes here and puts a gun to my head and says, mm-hmm. "Open the safe." Yeah, I mean, yeah, this You're is not have smart, to do it. right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, it's probably safer if I just bury it in mm-hmm. the desert. And you did. <laughs> and I did. So I, I heard something about that, and I heard that you know it's kind of like everybody was on a gold hunt. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, Jeremy Johnson buried a bunch of gold in, uh, in the desert, and we're going to go find it. <laughs> it's like, okay. But that was a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was a real thing. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, so then, so they seized all of your assets. Yeah. Right? The government did. And w- was this like a, were you blindsided by this completely? Yeah. So like this came out of 
left field. You're like, what the heck is going on right now? Yeah, um, because they went to a judge, ex parte, which means we weren't allowed to be there. Mm-hmm. said, oh, judge, this is a bad dude. You know, let us seize all of his assets. We're going to save it for all these victims, all these old grannies that you're talking about. Yeah. And the judge is like, oh, okay, sure. Here sure. you go. Yeah, the federal um, government comes and he's going to go, okay. Right, and so in theory, they're supposed to produce these people at a trial at a later date so they can get yeah. their money back, right? Right. And that was a problem the government had is that they, there's no there's no restitution for me to pay anybody to. Uh, there's no victim. Because they couldn't prove any of that. Well, there's nobody coming forward mm-hmm. to say I was harmed. I, I see. I mean, it's not even the matter of proof. They're just literally never happened. Mm-hmm. So... They couldn't put the case together. They couldn't put the case together, so they just kept kind of switching it. Oh, well, maybe you defrauded banks. You're going to try that but now. Once again, well, no bank was harmed. No bank lost any money. Well, look at this application. Mm-hmm. You wrote the wrong number of employees, or somebody in your company did, and you're liable for it on this application. And that's fraud because it's, you lied to the it's government. It's not fraud, actually. Oh. It's a false statement to a bank. Fraud would include the element of intent that I oh. intend to harm, right? Right. Making a false statement doesn't include that element. It's just illegal. It's just, yeah, I'm liable for it because I own the company and, you know. Hmm. Interesting. But that's, that's a con, that's, you know, like that's why the jurors were so upset is they felt like, hey, we. The jurors felt like they got sold down the river on this whole thing. Yeah, they, they felt kind of conned, I think, that they were more or less made to find me guilty of. Who's the lady who did the podcast? Do you have her name? Yeah, what? her name's Pamela Lindquist. Pamela Lindquist, and those are online somewhere. Yeah. So if someone wants to go look it up, basically what she's, she's talking to the jurors, right? Well, that's and among other people, but that's mm-hmm. just part of it, yeah. Okay, about the whole case, and she was very frustrated by it because she felt like it was kind of a witch hunt and there was really no case. She did, yeah. Yeah, and so did you feel that way. At the time, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then, so then you were convicted of this one count, Yeah. right? And did you serve time? Yeah, I was sentenced to 12 years. 12 years. Right. To a minimum security prison of some right. kind. Yeah. Okay. And and how many years did you serve? Four. Okay. So did you appeal, appeal, appeal? We did. Okay. And won the appeal and got the time chopped off and then I got Four years. Yeah. It took four years to get it done though. Is that right? Huh? Yeah. So they, ser- they sentenced you to 12 years. So that, obviously, that really impacted your life moving <laughs> forward, right? Yeah. Because once you've got that on your record, nobody wants to touch you at that point, right? I wouldn't say nobody, but yeah, there are people, <laughs> there's certain a, people. There's a, there's a few out there yeah. who still might, but well, they, you know, right. that's the thing is that you know you've got this brilliant mind, obviously for for business, and so right, yeah, people are going to want to tap that. But yeah, it is the unfortunate thing, you know, like we have something to be really useful to the city of St. George, and just for the fact that I happen to be involved, mm-hmm. they don't even want to talk yeah. about it. How, how did that work? Was your family able to come see you? Was How, how does that work? I don't know how that works. If you're in a minimum yeah. security prison, how does yeah, that work? Yeah, they can come. I mean, I saw them all the time. Did you? Yeah. And where was this prison? Uh, mostly it was in a town called Safford, Arizona, near Tucson, about okay. an hour from Tucson. Okay. And was it, a, it wasn't a maximum security prison, so no. you're not in there with a bunch of murderers. and There know. was murderers in oh, there, were there, but they've already been in prison for a long time, and they've worked really hard and shown and, good behavior to deserve to go to this prison. Mm-hmm. It was what you'd call a country club prison. Was it, was it still the freaky out, though? Um, no, it wasn't. I didn't. There was never a time I felt like I was in danger mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, it's mostly the hardest thing for me in there was it's just so much unproductivity. Yeah. Yeah. 
was that was the hardest thing, you know, boring. Yeah. It was like Groundhog Day every day. And <laughs> did you meet some brilliant people and hatch some plans while you were in prison? <laughs> I did. I did, did <laughs> meet some other very smart people. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I met some that were kind of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. But I'll bet you meet some really fascinating people in there because yeah. some people are in there because of their own stupidity and some yes. people are in there because of what seems to have happened to you, which was kind of a witch hunt that you ended up there. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think I was probably an anomaly for the most mm-hmm. part. Not saying the only one, but rare. Yeah. A lot of people in there for drugs, drug crimes, mm-hmm. um, you know. Yeah, uh, just using drugs sometimes or selling drugs. or. Yeah, in there it's almost always selling drugs, but mm-hmm. of course it starts with using them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so so now that we got a couple minutes left, I know okay. it's flying, right? <laughs> so now that you, what has this whole experience taught you? Uh, you know, I came out of that whole situation really more balanced. Um, I got a lot of compassion for anybody going through a difficult time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I gained uh, from that a lot that I don't think I could have in other ways. And so I don't view it as a bad experience. Um, it was a learning experience, and I am used it the best that I could to have a better life after, so... So you, do you think that the, the experience helped you grow in some way, in a better way? Definitely, yes. It, do you think that's because of the choices you made? I mean, you certainly could have been very bitter because you, you must have lost a lot of money. Uh, money, they took me, they put me in a cement box, took me away from my family, destroyed mm-hmm. my reputation, yeah. my company, harmed my employees. And yeah, you can How come you're not that? bitter? Because I figured out in there that uh, I can decide how I feel about something. Interesting. And I didn't see, I'm an investor at heart, right? I didn't see that that is a good investment to make for my time and my energy to be bitter. And so I decided I'm just not going to be. Huh. When when does the book come out? <laughs> I get asked that sometimes. <laughs> right? Unfortunately, I, not, I, like I said, I barely graduated high school, so writing is uh, not something that's I not, That's a piece like. of cake for a guy like you. You just find a ghostwriter and off you go. Well, maybe I maybe that's, uh, maybe some one of your listeners is my ghostwriter then. Absolutely. <laughs> There's, I, I mean, I, I'll put a list together for you of people right. I'm sure that would love to write your book because I think it's fascinating. It's a, uh-huh. it's a nationally known story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe even internationally known story. Maybe a little mm-hmm. bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. What's your advice to people now? You've gone through this experience just in the next 20 seconds or so. What would you tell people that are? Um, If the government says you did something wrong, whether you did it or not, just go with what they say and work something out. (laughs) Really? Just negotiate with them? Yeah. You're going to lose even if you didn't do anything they said. That's the bottom line. That's a pretty sad state of affairs. It's unfortunately that's the fact. You know, that's they, they win ninety percent, ninety-eight percent, or whatever. It's not because they're right that often. It's that they have the power to win even when they lose. So, well, Jeremy Johnson, thank you so much for coming today and sharing with us. I think we've all gotten a better understanding of your story, and I wish you all the best in the future. This project you got going sounds awesome. Thank you. All right. See you next time. All right. You've been listening to My Life, a radio show about your life with your host, Kevin Fry. If you'd like to share the story of your life, contact Kevin at kfry at myseniorsaver.com.